Well, good morning. And I know John's already sung about it, but he is risen. Praise the Lord. Jesus is alive. Uh, we're glad that you joined us this morning for worship. And I want to say, as we're watching uh, Facebook Live, it is great to see all of our regular members coming on board. But it's also great seeing all these new names and visitors and folks really from across the country who are joining us by way of video and Facebook Live and other medium to be uh, with us in worship. So thank you for coming and being part with us today. Uh, and we celebrate Easter and our risen Savior. You know, it says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Jesus is not risen, that our faith really is in vain. So today is a very important day to celebrate His resurrection and that we can live under His resurrection power through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're glad that you're with us in worship today. Uh, we do want to remind you that you can continue to give toward our $43,000 goal uh, for our Annie Armstrong Missions Offering. All the money we take for that uh, goes to our missionaries in North America. And so we want to encourage you to pray about giving for that. You can actually go online to our website at pbcweb.org. And there are options there to give for the offering. We will leave that open through the end of April. So we'll be praying about what you can give help missionaries. Again, thank you for being with us today. Be watching for different meetings. I know a lot of our uh, community groups are meeting by way of Zoom and getting together some of Facebook Live. So use some of those sources to get together uh, and at least see each other's face and talk with each other. Uh, but thank you for continuing to do that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's pray that God gives us an incredible day today as we worship Him. Let's pray together. God, we thank you uh, for what today represents. To understand that you made a way for man to be redeemed. And the only way that, that can be done is through Jesus coming uh, and dying on a cross that he didn't deserve. Jesus is perfect, he never sinned. But yet he died on a criminal's cross. If we uh, stay there on Friday and Saturday, uh, we would look and say, what a terrible tragedy that this uh, one that came from heaven, the Son of God, uh, died and is gone. But God would know that on Sunday, Easter Sunday morning, he rose again. God, we praise you for that. We thank you for that. We trust in that. Those are believers have taken that on personally and believe in that so they might belong uh, to you as their children. God, there are people who are listening to this uh, Facebook Live uh, that do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, God. I pray that maybe even right now they would bow their heads, they would close their eyes, and they would talk to you through prayer and say, God, I believe uh, or I know that I'm a sinner, but I believe that Jesus came. He died and rose again so that I might be made right with you. I trust in that. I believe in that with my whole heart. I forgive for my sins. Make me new. Make me your child. God, we do pray for this service today for all those that have a heart. God, that you would be honored by it. That we would be able to worship together even though we're in our homes and apart. That through uh, the power of the internet we can join together and worship you in singing and praying and listening to the message that you've given to our pastor. Give us a great day today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Good morning, church family. It's good to worship with you this morning on this special Easter Sunday morning. Um, I want to read a passage of Scripture to you that talks about a resurrection. It talks about the resurrection of a man named Lazarus. But it also points to the bodily, physical resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hear these words from John chapter 11. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went out to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you left him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Do not he open the eyes of a blind man and also kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved in, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time it will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you, if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took the stone away, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they believe 
you have sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound in strips, and his face wrapped with cloth. Jesus said to them, and by him, and let him go. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Good morning. Please join us in singing about a living hope we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing together.
Good morning, church family. Uh, let me add to Pastor Seeger's uh, welcome to you this Easter morning. Uh, it's a very unusual format. I realize that. We're accustomed to being together on Easter, and I sure do look forward to the time that we can be back together as a church family. You know, I think of the first Easter, how the disciples were huddled together, uh, hiding away. And if you think about it this Easter, what are we doing? We're uh, huddled in our own respective places. And so there's some interesting parallels in that. But what a glorious time it's going to be uh, as we come back together for worship. We want to welcome you here. We thank you for tuning in uh, each week. And for those who are guests and are joining us, we welcome you and we look forward to meeting you at some point in the future. Uh, I want to invite you to take a copy of God's Word this morning and find Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. And we'll begin reading in verse 8 and I'll read down through verse 18. So if you'd find a copy of God's Word and uh, we will go ahead and begin with that if we 
we could do that, please. There in verse 8 of Revelation chapter 1, we read these words. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. I, Don, your brother and companion, in suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching out to his feet, and with a gold sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look. I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that this Easter we can come together as the body of Christ, and we can celebrate what is so dear and precious to each one of us, and that is that Jesus is alive. He lives and he reigns. Father, I pray that through your word this morning, you would speak to us. This is your word. And you have promised us that it will never return unto you void, but it will accomplish that which you please. God, I pray that you would be pleased this morning to use your word and, and my words as I preach. As the psalmist prayed, I pray that the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, open every heart and every mind and all ears to the truth of your word. And for that one who needs to come to Christ today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in them in a special way, calling them to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. to 
Thank you, Quartet. That's a uh, great song pointing out that in Christ, death has died. And uh, that will be the Christian story one day when we're in heaven and death has completely been abolished. And uh, so what a wonderful hope that we have as believers. I want to invite you this morning to keep your Bibles open to Revelation chapter 1 that we read a moment ago. And I want to bring a message today entitled, Jesus is Alive and Glorified and Coming Again. You know, today, obviously, we're in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. On Wednesday nights here recently, uh, we have been studying uh, the book of Genesis. And there in the book of Genesis, we had the opportunity of looking rather extensively at the life of Joseph. Now, on the surface, if you were to stop reading too soon, Joseph would appear to be one of the most tragic figures to be found anywhere. It seems like one tragedy after another happens to Joseph. 
as his brothers stand before him at the very end of the book, they are convinced that Joseph is going to take vengeance on them. He's going to get even. And yet, we see that that is not what happens at all. In a statement filled with both grace and faith, Joseph says, what you meant for evil, God used for good. Folks, that is an astounding way to look at life and circumstances. God is sovereign over all things. He is providential over all things. Things in this world are happening because God is the grand architect and conductor. That seems to me to be a very similar lesson that God is teaching the Apostle John here in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation. I, you know, I think it's interesting that the Bible opens by reminding us that God is providential and the Bible closes the, the very same way. And in between those two bookends, we see the lives and circumstances of many people, but the overriding message is the same. Our God is a redeemed God, and He is a providential God. He is a God who lives and reigns. All authority is in His hand, and because of that, Christians can have hope and we can rest in the Lord. That's what Revelation 1 is all about. It is a vision that assured John of God's provision for both him and the church. You see, John is on the Isle of Patmos as a prisoner. It was a small island about 10 miles long, about 6 miles wide. It was roughly 37 miles off the coast of Miletus near Ephesus in Asia Minor. The Romans would send prisoners there. John is there because of an outbreak of persecution against Christians in the Roman Empire. John being sent there probably says something very positive about his influence and preaching among the general population. The Romans wanted to silence him because John is having a positive effect. He is impacting people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, no doubt John is worried in the midst of this persecution. He is worried about his fellow believers. And so Jesus gives John a vision. Now, before it's said and done, it's going to be more than a vision. Uh, we know it as the entire book of Revelation. And it is a comforting vision to John that Jesus is now both exalted and glorified. He's coming again for his church one day, and when he comes, he'll come in great power and victory. But until then, he is more than able to watch over his church, and he's more than able to watch over you and me. Watching over his church does not mean that it will be spared from all trial and tribulation. Some of the believers will indeed die for the faith, but nonetheless, Jesus will watch over his bride. Through life or through death, through tribulation and hardship, Jesus will be with his bride. He will never forsake her. He will be with her to the very end until she is safely at home in heaven 
with him. The Roman Empire will not win. Caesar will not win. If Christ blazes in his coming, the world in future years will not win against the church. Just as Jesus experienced victory through his resurrection, those who belong to him will likewise experience victory too. We will be raised from dead. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that makes all the difference in the world to believers. Amen? Can I get a witness to that? Let me say that again. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that makes all the difference in the world to believers. Now John, like us, must resist the temptation of focusing his attention on the world. He needs to keep his eyes on Jesus. Because after all, Jesus told his disciples while he was still with them, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Jesus overcame through his resurrection, and so will we. And so whether we live or die, whether we have little or much in life, whether we experience trials or not, above all else, we must keep our eyes on the one who has conquered both sin and death. He's risen. He reigns. And one day, he's returning. Folks, that's what we celebrate at Easter. Now I want you to put yourself in John's shoes for a moment. Imagine being there all alone and separated from your church family, from your Christian family, your loved ones, all of your friends. Some of you this morning may feel all alone. You feel isolated. Well, you can probably appreciate somewhat of the isolation that the Apostle John is experiencing. The, this vision of the resurrected and reigning Christ was intended to give John whatever strength and courage he needed to face life with. Now I want us to see how all of this plays out. I hope you'll take some notes this morning. And as you do so, the first thing I want you to write down is the distinctiveness of Jesus' life. The distinctiveness of Jesus' life. And write down beside that verses 8 to 16. Jesus identifies himself as the Alpha and the Omega. In other words, he's eternal. There has never been a time that he has not been. And there will never be a time that he won't be. Life may change. Circumstances may change, the world may change, but Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He tells us in verse 9 here that he was there because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. It was a great comfort for him to know that this same Jesus that he had rested his head on at the Last Supper was and is the same Jesus who is now watching over him in his exile and imprisonment. God's character never changes. You know, in Isaiah 9, verse 6, we are given a prophecy more than 800 years before the incarnation of Jesus Christ 
uh, we're told there about the birth of Christ that his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. That's who he is. And that same Jesus is with John now and he is with you and me today. In verses 12 to 16, John gives us a ninefold description of the risen Lord Jesus. These descriptions make it very clear to us that Christ holds a very unique place in history. He is God's only begotten Son. And He's not dead. He is alive. And He's very much at work in His world today. He's not somebody who is standing back and allowing things to spin out of control. You may feel like sometimes today that the world is spinning out of control, but I can assure you it's not. Jesus has the world in His hands. In fact, look at how John sees Jesus. John saw Jesus in the midst of the lampstands. Folks, the lampstands are the churches. And seven is the number of completion. And so while these are seven literal churches in Asia Minor, they no doubt also represent all of the churches of all ages. I think it's very fitting the church is symbolized here as a lampstand. You see, a lampstand holds the light. The church does that. The church is not the light. Jesus is the light. But it is the church that proclaims the message of Jesus to a dark world. And I want you to, to again notice where Jesus is. He's right there in the middle of lampstands, right in the middle of the churches. He's alive. Christ indwells believers. And he's in the midst of his church. I want you to understand that this Easter. You see, we're not here to celebrate some figure from the past who is still in his grave. Easter services are not annual memorial services that pay homage to some, somebody who is now dead and gone as though we were celebrating something like President's Day today or some holiday like that. Easter services are celebration services that proclaim that Jesus Christ is risen. He reigns and He is with us. He's alive. He's in the midst of His church and He is with you. You have that promise in God's Word. Through the power of God's Holy Spirit, He is always with us. John gets a vision of this glorified Christ who is with his church. I want to note how John describes him. He was, he was dressed in a robe that reached all the way down to his feet, and it was he, his chest was girded about with a golden sash. Now, such robes as this were worn in ancient times by royalty. But what John's describing here is the robe of the high priest. This is the description 
of a high priest like you would find, for example, in the book of Exodus. Jesus Christ is our high priest. The high priest, you'll recall, he dwelt with his people and he represented his people before God. He represented God to the people, the people to God. Now, the book of Hebrews goes into a great deal explaining how Jesus is our new high priest. Again, a high priest would appear before God on behalf of the people, and, and the first thing he would do, of course, would be to present the offering for sin. I want you to think about Jesus in this role. He had entered into God's presence to present not the blood of bulls and goats, but His own blood, the final and complete sacrifice that never needs to be done again. And He also escorts those who are in Christ into God's presence. Peter speaks of that in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 where he says that just died for the unjust that he might bring us to God. There's a word there that Peter uses that describes someone that carries someone else into the presence of a dignitary. If you visited today the President of the United States, you would have to be escorted into the White House and into the Oval Office. You would not be able to enter on your own. Jesus does that with His children. He escorts us into God's presence in the Holy of Holies. Now let's continue to see here what John says about Jesus, our high priest. He points out that he exercises a comforting presence. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 to 18, the writer says, Therefore he had, he had been made like his brethren in all things that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that, in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. And then over in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25, he says, Hence also he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Folks, the reality of his life is that as he indwells his churches, he moves sympathetically in our midst. He's your sympathetic high priest. He cares for us. He protects us. He carries us into the presence of God. His blood atones for our sin. And there He makes intercession for us. You know what I think of? I think of an Old Testament story in the book of Daniel. Where Daniel, three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fiery furnace. And do you remember what the king said as he looked into the fiery furnace? Did he see three men? No, he saw four. And of course we know who that fourth man was. 
Jesus is always with us, even when we need Him the most. And so He exercises a comforting presence. But he not only exercises a comforting presence, but He, he uh, also exercises a purifying presence. John describes it here as having hair as white as wool, like snow. And the idea here is that Christ possesses all wisdom and purity. In the Old Testament, gray hair was a sign of wisdom. And with Jesus being described here with hair as white as wool, like snow... He's been described as the all-wise God. And you know what that means? That means that He can direct your life and my life and He can lead us in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Have you ever desired to have somebody who can perfectly direct your life? Jesus is able to do that. He knows all about you. He knows all about me. He knows everything we face. He's full. He, he's, he's fully capable of handling any circumstance, any trial or tribulation that you and I would ever find ourselves in. You see, Jesus is not up in heaven, pacing about, wringing his hands, worried about what in the world he's going to do all this mess down here in the world. He makes no mistakes. He never has to second guess himself. As someone once wisely said, his eyesight is never better than his foresight. I want you to think about that, that phrase again. He doesn't have to practice things until he gets them right. White hair not only speaks of his wisdom, but it speaks of his purity. He is absolutely pure in all of his motives, in all of his methods, in all of his manners. And with his eyes like a flame of fire, what we see here is his penetrating glance at the church. He sees all, he knows all, he sees all. It's like Hebrews 4 verse 13 says, There is no creature hidden from his eye, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In his perfect wisdom... There's nothing he doesn't see. There's nothing he doesn't know. John also describes here the fact that Christ exercises a powerful presence. His feet are mentioned here. His feet like burning bronze. Now the feet of a king in ancient times came to symbolize their authority. You see, the ancient kings would, would sit on elevated thrones and their feet would be right above their subjects that they ruled. And so here's a very clear indication in the scripture that we are under his authority. And then John says his voice was like the sound of many waters. You know, people may not want to listen to Christ now, but he will be heard. John no doubt heard those crashing waves, the Aegean Sea, as those waves beat against the rocks, the giant boulders along the shoreline. 
If you stand at the base of a waterfall, for example, something like Niagara Falls, or maybe you stand on a beach that has giant boulders right there at the shoreline, and the water comes crashing in, you know how it's deafening. That sound drowns out all other sounds. Folks, what John is describing here is the fact with his voice like the sound of many waters, Christ will not be silenced. Voices in the culture now may try to push him out, but he will not be pushed out. As Revelation 20 points out, there's come a day that the great and small will stand before him, and Revelation 20 says that heaven and earth will feel away, and there he will sit on that great white throne of judgment, and his voice will be the only voice that matters in that day. Notice also he holds in his hand the seven stars of the churches, the messengers of the churches. The idea here is the idea of control. The church is the bride of Christ. We belong to Him. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. And then John sees that out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. Here's an image of the power of God's Word. Just like I said a moment ago about the voice of Christ, God's Word will not be silenced. People can mock it, they can ignore it for now, but Christ will have the last say. And His Word is two-edged. It can cut in the direction of blessing for those who listen to it and obey it. And it will cut in the direction of judgment for those who rebel against it and ignore it. And so in Christ's glorified risen state, He presents Himself to us as the one who protects us, He disciplines us, He comforts us, He teaches us, He knows all things, and He will not be silenced. He's very much alive and well in our midst today. Folks, at Easter we celebrate that Jesus is not an absentee Lord. And we are not mere victims today of fate or circumstances that are beyond anyone's control. Christ started His work in us. He continues His work in us. And He will complete His work in us to the day of His coming. That's what Philippians 1.6 promises us. This Easter, I want to ask you, do you know Him? And does He know you? Well, secondly, in your notes this morning, I want you to write down the imperishability of Jesus' life from verses 17 to 18. I want to read that again. John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead. And behold, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. So John introduces us here, Jesus Christ, as the living creator. And the Lord tells John, fear not, I am 
the first and the last, the living one. I want you to notice what John does. How does John respond? John falls at his feet. You see, there is no way to stand before him as you would stand before somebody who is your equal. John falls in humility at his feet. Probably both in humility and fear. And that's why Jesus says, fear not. You know, sometimes you hear people say today some of the silliest things that they would do if Jesus were to show up in the room that, that they're in. But you know, in the Bible, when people did get a vision of God showing up, they respond in utter humility. I think of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah thought he was going to die. And he cried out, woe is me, I'm undone. And the apostle John here falls at the feet of the Lord Jesus. But again, Jesus says, if you're not the first and the last... The first and the last and the living one was a title used of God in the Old Testament as he was being contrasted with dead and dumb idols. When all false gods have come and gone, only he remains. He's the living one. God is the eternal, uncaused, Self-existent one. In John 5, 26, Jesus said to his Jewish opponents, just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. He spoke his life was never derived from some other source. He was always self-existent. Remember John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John saying there, in the beginning, when the beginning came around, the Word was already there. In other words, there was never a time that He did not exist. Jesus Christ is from everlasting to everlasting. And that means that all material matter, all physical and spiritual matter have, have come into being as a result of His creative power. The prologue of John's Gospel goes on to say in verses 2 and 3, He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Now why is this so important? It's because nothing's more important than Him. Nothing created Him. He's not subject to any other power. All power and authority belongs to Him. Jesus Christ is the supreme authority in the universe and He alone is to be the supreme authority in your life and in my life and in, in the church. Folks, it doesn't matter what our friends might think of us or say of us. The real question is, what does Jesus Christ think of us? You know, the Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Furthermore, as our living Redeemer, He, he didn't simply die. The text here points out He became 
dead in order that we might live. In other words, the living one, the eternal self-existent God who could not, uh, who could not die became a man and he died. Now I want you to think about that. In his humanness, his human nature, he, he died there on the cross without ceasing to live as God. That's part of the mystery of the, of the incarnation that Christ was, he was fully God and fully man. Two natures in one essence. Now before the incarnation, he had only one nature. He was fully God. But after the incarnation, he was also fully man. When he died, he died as a man. But he, God didn't die. God can't die. He became a man so that he could identify with your hurts and your temptations and your weaknesses. He became a man so that he could go to the cross and die for our sin, being our perfect sin sacrifice on the cross. He died. But folks, that was not the end. You know, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Jesus died as our sin substitute. He died for our sin. But having no sin of his own, death had no right to him. Death could not hold him. Death had no claim to him because he was without sin. He could not remain dead. And so he was raised. In Romans 1 4, the Bible said that he was declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. You see, the resurrection vindicated everything about the Lord Jesus, who he said he was, what he said he came to do. The resurrection of Jesus Christ said that God the Father was perfectly satisfied with the offering of his Son. His just anger against sin was dealt with fully at the cross. You do not have to try to work off your sin to God. You will never do enough good deeds. You will never work your way to heaven. What you and I must do is repent of our sin and trust Christ and Christ alone for our salvation. His death at the cross was once for all complete and sufficient. And that's why the Bible also says that for those who are in Christ, death cannot hold you either. The grave cannot hold you either. You will die. Jesus cares. He doesn't return. You will die and I will die. But we will be raised because Christ has paid the penalty for our sin and He was raised. So again, if you're in Christ, the grave has no dominion or mastery over you. Because He lives, you too shall live. Death had Him one time, but it could not keep Him. He's never died again. Paul wrote about that in Romans 6 verse 9. He says, Know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death is no longer master over him. As the eternal God-man, Christ lives forever in a union of glorified humanity and beauty. 
Folks, that truth provides great assurance for us today because as Hebrews 7.25 says, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. Those who come to God through Him seeing that He ever lives to make intercession. Jesus is the ever-living One. Again, why do these things matter? Because John 10.10 says, Jesus pointed out, I give unto them eternal life. If he would stay dead, he could not give life. And remember too, he said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. If he were dead, he couldn't go anywhere. But that's preparing things for us. But because he's the ever living one, we don't have to fear not even a death. Now thirdly, in your notes this morning, I want you to write down the sovereign power and authority of Jesus' life. Look at verse 18. He says, I have the keys of death and of Hades. Those keys are a symbol of His authority. Only Jesus Christ has authority and supremacy over the power of human death and destiny. He has the authority to decide who lives and who dies and where one spends eternity. Remember that parable of sheep and the goat he told in Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 31 and following? He said to the sheep who were on his right, Enter in to my heaven. But remember what he said to the sheep, to the goats rather that were on his left, depart from me. I never knew you. You see, that authority belongs to Jesus and only to Jesus. The Bible says He will judge the living and the dead. But to Christians, this isn't a source of fear. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. If a man believes in me, he shall live even if he dies. This means to your loved ones who died, if they were believers in Christ, Christ has authority over them. Death has not changed that. They are with Jesus now. And one day when Jesus comes back, they will come with Him. Folks, all of these are the reasons that you and I celebrate today. This is what we celebrate at Easter. As the living Lord, He is able to do everything that He said that He would do. Come to Him. Believe upon Him. Rest your life in Him. Cast all your care upon Him. And live for Him. Do anything today but ignore Him. I read a story some time ago about a, a little church and school outside of Monrovia, Liberia. Uh, there's a little village there named Harbell. And it's built on the site of a former Firestone rubber plantation. And in the village, a, a small church and school have been established to serve the displaced persons who live there. The pastor of the church is named Gabriel, and the, the headmaster of the church run school is named Emmanuel. The school serves approximately 600 children. It has no books, has no pencils or markers or papers, 
has no blackboards. The church, uh, the, the, the school has no supplies. When the pastor was asked on one occasion if he's discouraged, he looked amazed and said, Brother, we are Christians. We may be helpless, but we are certainly not hopeless. You know, that's a message for us today, isn't it? It's like John on the Isle of Patmos. In his own strength, he might have been helpless. He was a prisoner. He was an aged man by this time. He might have been helpless, but he wasn't hopeless because his hope is in the living Lord. You and I today, in many regards, are helpless. Many things we can't do. But folks, one thing is for sure, if you are in Christ, you are not hopeless. Because He lives, you too shall live. I want to invite you to come to Christ today. He can transform your life, forgive all your sin. He can give you a lasting hope. I want you to understand also that you are never alone. Lean upon Christ to give you a living hope in the midst of your struggles. Be sure also that Jesus is preparing a place for you. I want you to think about that place, how glorious it's going to be. If you think about this world that we're in now, the book Genesis tells us that in six days... He created everything that is. And you travel around this globe and there are some beautiful places to see. And again, He created all six days. In John 14, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's been preparing that place in heaven for us. A new heavens, a new earth for more than 2,000 years. If this world is so beautiful being made in six days, can you imagine what the new heavens and the new earth are going to look like? Being in, in preparation now for more than uh, 2,000 years. What a glorious place it's going to be. Don't dare miss out on that place. Come to Christ. Christian, again, I want you to be encouraged. You're not hopeless. We have a blessed hope, our risen Lord, the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful blessings that you have given us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You've given us the forgiveness of our sins and access into your presence. And you've given us that blessed hope that one day we'll be with you forever. Lord, I pray for that one who needs to come to Christ right now. That they would bow their head and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of all of my sins. And live your life in through me and help me to live for you. Lord, we pray that you would give to them today the new birth that they experience with the Christian life is all about. And Lord, continue to be with your children. Continue to give them strength in these trying days in which we live. 
Lord, every day give them the assurance of your presence with them. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today.